the motherfucker who said we're going to keep this thing going until people start losing their houses and their apartments. Listen to me, motherfucker. There's a lot of ways to lose your house. Some of it is financial. Some of it is karma. And some of it is just figuring out who the fuck said that. And we know who said that. And where he fucking lives. There's a lot of ways to lose your house. You wish that on people. You wish that families starve while you're making 27 fucking million dollars a year for creating nothing. Be careful, motherfucker. Be really careful. Because that's the kind of shit that stirs shit up. Peace out. Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this week's action for everyone for this here July 16th, 2023. I am, as always, your host, Mike Scott, joined by Liam O'Donnell. Liam, how are you today? I'm doing great. Uh, we uh, are very excited about today, but we are missing our uh, our brother in arms, our patriot in arms. And I want to give a shout out to Vice. Hope he feels better and uh, is back to talking shit uh, on, on, on all the social media forums. Yes, I was I was about to do the same as well, Vice. Uh, we hope uh, if for people wondering, we're being cryptic because it's not our story to tell. But Vice is okay. He's 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 healthy. He's he's good. Uh, he sends a thumbs up and and uh, wants us to remind you that uh, you can still find him on Twitter talking shit. So, um, but uh, Vice, we hope you uh, we hope you recover well, man. Uh, so for that, we brought in a ringer uh, and and we needed another shit talker, right? Vice fills our shit talker quotient. So we needed another shit talker. So we brought in Brandon Streisnig to talk some shit. Brandon, how are you today, man? <laughs> I'm great. Uh, it's it's funny. I, I feel like I've been trying to be less of a shit talker. And like I was about to be like, hey, that's not entirely true anymore. But then I remember I just told some guy yesterday to shut the fuck up. So I guess I guess I'm still still uh keeping that strong <laughs> i gotta gotta ease up on that a little bit i i i've noticed you have been 
I've been less confrontational, and I think uh, I think it's 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 all been uh, for the better. I've noticed that, so I think you're doing a good job. Don't be too hard on yourself. The, the more the more professional people that follow me, the more I'm like, okay, I gotta I gotta present a good public face here. Sometimes it just feels so good to just say like "fuck off," but I still feel like I can't pull it off the way Vice does because He's then when, the only one. When, yeah, when people escalate it after that, my blood like I'm just yeah. I'm raging. I'm like, why is that? Why am I doing this? It's it's, it's he's he's so good at dropping that and then moving on and like, yeah, I'm just like, I, I got to keep going back to see if they've responded to my <laughs> shut the fuck up. Like... Yeah, no, I, I'm the same way. It gets under my skin. It just it just it ruins my whole damn day. You know, it just like it's not. You know, I I had that God, I had that dial a destiny tweet just take off. That just was a freaking nightmare for me that I had, I had to mute it. I had to block a bunch of people. And I just, and it was like, Oh, this is a nice reminder why I'm not on Twitter very much anymore. And then I go over to blue sky and it's just pleasant. Well, for me, because apparently it's only pleasant for white people over there. Apparently it's a nightmare <laughs> for everybody else, but, uh, but yeah, anyway. Um, all right. We are here to talk about a few movies as usual. Uh, of course, the big one is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Uh, uh, mid put or whatever. It, I, I keep seeing the anagram and I, I keep trying to pronounce it because it just it looks ridiculous. But uh, but anyway, uh, I will get into and as always, we will do this uh, the way we normally do, which is we'll go spoiler free and then we will go into spoilers with ample warning. I did not see this one. I am not going to, and I will talk about why when we get into spoilers. It's not some moral high ground. It's just, I'll explain it when we get into spoilers because I can't explain it without spoilers. But before we get into this movie, Brandon, you basically, we did our preview last week, but you basically mainlined all the Mission Impossible movies, and you'd only seen the first three. So three of them were brand new watches for you. Well, four technically counting Dead Reckoning. So kind of take us through that journey a little bit. Uh, well, it was really fun, obviously. Um, it's such a lame way to start. It was great. Uh, but uh, um, it's funny because like I've every time I do like a series watch through of something, everyone's like, how do you talk about action so much and you haven't seen X or you haven't seen this or that? And like, I it's weird because over like the last 10 years, I feel like I'll miss a franchise entry and then just it'll snowball into just I keep missing them and then I'm like I'll get to that eventually and then I just like by the time I like turn around there's like five new ones and I'm like shit what am I gonna do but like so seeing these all back to back to back was really interesting because I had only seen the first three and I've always really liked one and two never really liked three that much and I, I don't even know why I missed four at the time and I I don't know I it, it's been such a strange contrast of like styles and everything i i think you go from like two incredibly stylish entries to one that has no style to like one that's like incredibly efficient but feels like it loses a step and then you get to the macquarie ones which is like oh this is what these movies should have been this whole time and i don't know rogue nation was probably the biggest one where it was like oh i'm seeing like one of the best action movies of like the last 50 years like it was like it, it felt like it took the first four movies and really just combined all of them into something really special there's something from each of those first four movies that in rogue nation that is just like done even better and then fallout was interesting because you and i were talking off mike mike um the uh fallout was weird because i really really loved it and everyone had said like oh if you love rogue nation you're really gonna love fallout and that was true but i also felt like am i missing something here like i don't think this is like it's like half a like 
half of a half of a step below Rogue Nation every time. And I was just waiting for it to do what Rogue Nation did for me. And maybe that's maybe watching them so close together kind of messed that up for me. But but it was it was a really fun journey. And like, I think after seeing all these um, probably next to Alien, it's probably like my favorite series One well, John Wick, too, obviously. But uh, but yeah, like in terms of like blockbuster stuff, this is like kind of as perfect of a franchise you can get i i think yeah and i don't think that's unreal i think liam and i kind of mentioned it you know and like you said we were talking about it for me there's something there's something about rogue nation it is that perfect alchemy of tension and action and precision and pacing and acting and fallout you know I, people get mad at me when i use this word but fallout feels just a little bloated like a little like i mean again it, it's it's but it, to me it's a four and a half star movie, whereas Rogue Nation is an absolute five star movie. Rogue Nation is, I think, Liam, you said it's like, what did you say? It's like a, a timekeeper's precision or a watchmaker's precision. Yeah, a Swiss watch. It's just, yeah. it, and I noticed the things I like. Well, I, I think I like Fallout. I can't tell which one I like as much, but I think it's because they, and it's, it's a similar thing that I tipped the cap for Dead Reckoning is that he does not repeat himself. Like, they definitely still are trying to make a different movie each time. I like the decisions from Rogue Nation to Fallout a lot better than I like the decisions from Fallout to Dead Reckoning. Um, but it is kind of hard to if for, if that's your credo when you nailed it the first time. Like I'd be very happy to just keep making Rogue Nations. Like why do you have to <laughs> keep changing things up? So I get it. Yeah. And it's. The thing I was most bummed out, bummed out by with this rewatch is Ghost Protocol, because I thought like I had a few people tell me that's their absolute favorite, which I, I don't think any of the, the people who said that to me listen to this show. That's like a separate group of film Twitter, um, which I don't know, maybe explains why that's their favorite, because they're not like the action nerds like we are. But I don't know. There's something about that movie that just like I, I went into it like, OK, this is where the series is going to blow my mind. And it is like a really solid, great movie, but it just like. I know this is such a lame complaint, but Michael Nyquist or however you say his name is so boring in that movie. <laughs> There's, I just, I don't know, to, to go from him to, um, or to go from Philip Seymour Hoffman to him felt like such a step down. Like, I think he's my least favorite villain in the series. He's giving a better performance than uh, Do Gray Scott, but he's not mem as memorable. <laughs> but, but he never screams, I am gagging for it, which, you know. <laughs> just but i don't know we we did we did talk a lot about two and i think i have similar feelings about two as i do dead reckoning is that they're both movies i want to like more ultimately than i do um and so after the last pod where mike was talking about he he really was gushing about how much he loved two i went and i watched it again and i'm like <laughs> i have to like i have to make myself love this movie and i still can't get there on the first act but then i was dming you guys and i'm like especially Brandon, I'm like, so do you like Doug Gray Scott's performance or is it like nostalgia? <laughs> because in 2000, I think I saw this movie once and kind of moved on. I mean, 2000, I'm 18 years old. I, I was I was not quite as uh, like action movies are the juice. I was kind of more like <laughs> my life is the juice. <laughs> so I wasn't as like as like keyed into this at the moment. I was moving on and, and, and doing bad things like an, a, a good 18 year old should. So I was like, what is it about Doug Gray Scott? So just give our give our readers uh, the fresh perspective there. Uh, 
I, I think he's bad in the movie for sure. Yeah. I think I think he's like I, I kept him every time I watch that movie, I'm like, what would 20 years of him as Wolverine look like? And it probably would have been him getting recast by X-Men 3 or something. But um, but uh, I, I think he's bad in the movie, but in ways that are really fun and interesting. He's he's giving such a bizarre performance like he's like to uh, to, to quote uh the uh, the internet's favorite person, uh, Lex G. He's doing a lot of mugging faces in the movie. He's mugging a lot, and I don't know. Um, it's it, it, he he's just so watchable to me. And I think what I love about it more, I think what what completes his performance for me is Richard Roxburgh's performance, always kind of behind him, just like wanting him so badly, <laughs> like just that weird homoerotic tension in that movie that like never spills over but like you can feel it the entire way through you're just like oh these guys like i think i said it in my tweet i was like this movie would have been solved if like the four people at the center of this like sandaway newton tom cruise do gray scott and richard roxburgh just all fucked like if they all just had like a big foursome together this movie would have been solved because everybody kind of wants each other in some form or fashion and no one's saying it but i don't know he's not good in the movie but he's really interesting and i think that that helps the movie a lot and i don't know maybe Maybe I'm being a little bit mean about him. Maybe he is act good, actually, but I don't know. He's he's doing a lot, and I don't know if it always works. But, yeah, I, I feel like there's kind of a good reason why we haven't heard from him in a while. <laughs> I, I just I don't want to rehash what we said from last week, but and and I ended up in a semantic argument earlier this week on Twitter. Um, but like. I have a hard time saying he's bad in this movie. Look, if you've watched John Woo's American movies and you build from Arnold Vosloo to Travolta and Broken Arrow to Cage and Face Off to Do Gray Scott in this, he is giving the exact performance that John it's Woo true. wants him to get. Yeah. So you can say it's a it's a poor stylistic choice on Wu's part. I'll disagree with you on that, but that's I think a reasonable argument. But I, I always bristle when somebody says an actor is bad when it's very clear they're giving the exact performance the director wanted them to give. Uh, yeah, and, and I, yeah. I think that that's fair. I, yeah. Like my my counter was like I just don't think he has the talent to give what Wu is. Asking. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. He's not Nicolas Cage. Like, yeah, like, right, don't get right, me wrong. If, if you do the same movie as we did, I did a little face-off reboot thing in Twitter. <laughs> like, if you, if Val Kilmer is playing Ambrose, this movie is, like, amazing. Yeah. You know, like, someone who has, obviously, sexual chemistry with Tom Cruise. Uh, and, <laughs> and, like, so it just would be, it, it would be, you know, I, I, I think I think a lot of the things that Wu is trying to do, like, like taking the mask off and, and he's, like, crying. If that's Kilmer, I'm like, oh, my God. But it's the great <laughs> Scott. I'm like, this is a private moment. I don't want to be here. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I think the other thing is, is, is I like, you know, I think by most accounts, Do Gray Scott would be considered a pretty attractive man, right? But compared to Tom Cruise, he looks like Tom Cruise that's been left out in the sun and melted a little <laughs> bit. And and somebody like Kilmer, I think, would be too pretty for that role because I like the idea of Ambrose is a, a, ostensibly an attractive man, but he'll never be Ethan Hunt attractive. He's a good agent, but he'll never be Ethan Hunt good. He's smart, but he'll never be Ethan Hunt smart. And so this kind of, and, and I think that's the same thing with the performance is he's this sort of weird, twisted grotesquery 
of hunt and 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 so for me <laughs> it really really works it, but i also kind of i've seen a lot of dugray scott movies i think he's a pretty solid performer the biggest problem with dugray scott isn't even the wolverine thing it's that james purefoy came out at the exact same time and those two were <laughs> functionally indistinguishable from one another to this day i can never remember which one is in like like one of them's in momentum with Olga and I can, I think it's do gray Scott, but one of them's also in Hitman, And I think that's James Purefoy or maybe it's both of them. I don't know. I can never remember. So yeah. That, I'm, that, I'm team that Purefoy. I'm team Purefoy. I, I, I love Rome. To the oh. Wolverine thing really quickly. I do wonder sometimes if a lot of the stigma around him is the whole, you didn't get Wolverine. Like, I wonder if that sticks in It sticks in my mind. Like it's hard not to watch him and think like, like, I think you're doing the, a lot of the math in your head of like, oh, if he had been Wolverine, would this have worked? Would everything? And then sometimes I'm like, oh, well, maybe he should have been Wolverine because maybe we wouldn't have gotten to where we are today with all the comic book stuff. But, but I don't know. Um, I, there would I, be there'd be no X Men too. I think. Well, <laughs> here's here's what I think when it comes to Wolverine and Dugray Scott. I think he would have been fine. I think he would have done a good job. I think there are certain roles that certain actors are legitimately like gifted from the gods to us yeah. to play and that's Hugh Jackman as Wolverine and so yeah. it, it to me it's kind of unfair to compare any you know god like nothing but sympathy for whoever gets recast as Wolverine when Marvel <laughs> inevitably does it right like like literally Jackman is born to play that role and so I don't think it's necessarily fair to say Dugray no. Scott wouldn't have been good nobody would have been good compared to the Wolverine that we got. I mean, that's just pure dumb luck. That that was that such happened. a like, even as a kid in 2000, that was such a like, oh, this is like a megastar kind of performance. Like similarly to Rebecca Ferguson as Il Ilsa Faust in that fifth movie, you're just like, oh, I'm seeing something really special here. I'm glad you brought her up. So. Yeah, well, well, hold on. Let's let's so let's let's get our initial thoughts and then go into spoilers. So so really quick, I I'm sensing just based on both your tweets and our conversations, you guys do have a bit of a division here. So Liam, let's go to you first. Uh, well, let's start with the positives. So let's have Brandon go first. Okay, so this is going to be tough because I was telling Mike before you popped in, Liam, that I was like, I feel like Liam's going to come at me a bit for like how did you love this so much? Cause you were kind of doing that in the DMS. And like, I thought about it and I, as it's sat with me more, I do think I'm starting to inch fallout a little more over this, uh, in terms of what I like more, but it's one, this is one of those movies where I can see all the problems with it. There are a lot of them. And, but I think at its heart, it's, it's one of those big, weird, unwieldy movies that I like, super bloated that I just really kind of like love sitting in in the moment and I know that's not like the greatest defense but it reminded me a lot of Six Underground it reminded me a lot of Black Hat it was like these movies that don't that are kind of incomprehensible in some ways um this this makes a lot more sense than either of those uh mainly because unlike Black Hat it's cut together the right way but um I I just really loved you know, I've seen a lot of people complaining about the that this movie has a lot of sitting around and there's a lot of scenes of people just sitting around talking to each other for a long time. And th that's the kind of stuff I love, especially with these actors. I, I always forget how much I do love banter when it's but when it's really great actors doing it like the you know, I know we're not going to spoilers yet, but there's it's in the trailer a little bit. The um 
Mexican standoff without guns scene where they're all just like bouncing around each other. I was just riveted by that. And and I think that this is one of the best casts any of these movies have had. Um, and I, I just, I don't know. It's, it's such a strange movie. I, one of my positives is going to be a negative that a lot of people have. The photography I thought was really interesting in this movie when, when it wasn't only close-ups, which it does admittedly do a lot. There's a lot of close-ups in this movie. <laughs> um, but I liked the shift to digital once I realized what the movie was doing, but I think it's only going to work if it does the smart thing in eight, which I don't think it's going to do. I don't think the digital photography was intentional to what this movie's doing thematically, like a lot of people are trying to say. But if they end up doing what I hope they would do in eight with the photography, like going back to film, I think that I, this it would be a really smart decision, but I don't know if that's what they're going to do. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I feel like, I mean, in a lot of ways, this the part one thing is like uh, really the antithesis of what I want from a Mission Impossible movie, because... I, mean, I think that's part of parcel of like the promise of Mission Impossible movie is that the third act, there's got to be a rabbit pulled out of a hat. And that's that's what Rogue Nation, I think, does perhaps the best out of all of them. And uh, because they're punting that to the next movie, you kind of don't get that uh, that same sensation. Um, but yeah, so just to bring you guys through mine, I, 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 I mean, I went to see it at the Paramount lot uh, thanks to uh, my editor friend Barrett Heathcote, uh, BAFTA screening. I was about as juiced as possible to go see this. I mean, you guys listened to last week's pod, you know, Fallout and uh, Rogue Nation are my favorite ones. I've loved every movie McHugh has directed. And so it starts off with a pretty uh, intricate intro in this Russian sub. And immediately the vibes are kind of off for me for the photography. I, I just don't, it, it's very garish. And it. I can see every single pore on every single Russian's nose as they're sweating in it. And I was like, what's going on? And again, this is like a tip of the cap to them because they nailed it like, you know, almost 10 years ago with Rogue Nation. And they just keep trying to reinvent the wheel and not repeat themselves. And so in that, in that respect, a lot of the complaints are, like a tip of the cap to the showmanship of just not doing the same thing. Um, but, you know, the softer film look of the last two, I, I think, especially with a cast getting this old, like it looks at times like Simon Pegg drank out of the wrong grail in this movie. Like, it's just. <laughs> I, I do agree with you there, Liam, like you, you, DM'd me you were like did you like seeing everyone's pores in this movie and it did like when there are close-ups in this movie it reminded me a lot of when tv made the shift to hd and i think wwe was one of the first ones to do that and it was like some of these wrestlers looked horrific when that happened yeah <laughs> and... they hadn't they hadn't updated their ability you know the makeup industry hadn't caught yeah. up to hd that that actually happened that was a big not to take us in down a gross path that was a big problem in the porn industry when porn first transitioned to hd was that they hadn't you know doing makeup for sd video versus hd is a very very different makeup process uh you're you're, you're really like oh my god like i didn't realize johnny sins was actually 57 years old <laughs> <laughs> so yeah there's that from the beginning and then 
Um, there's a very fucking bizarre scene with Carrie Ells uh, and all of the intelligent people. And so this is when when someone says something is Metal Gear Solid to me from now on, I'm going to know that means it's not for me. Because it's <laughs> just like it, it, everyone's, oh, it's Metal Gear Solid, it's Metal Gear Solid. I'm like, does that mean it's everybody like fit, like speaking as one hive mind character finishing the next line of the script? Like they all got it. it they're, they're all staring at the entity. And it's like 15 people throughout the room and they're all finishing each other's sentences. There's no distinction on how they're speaking. And I was just like, what the fuck is going on? So it, it, I, I started getting really deflated within this first 10 or 15 minutes. And then there'd always be something that would pull me back in. Um, I don't think it's a spoiler if it's in the first 10 or 15 minutes, but Cruz actually, you know, uh, Mission Impossible's his way into this meeting. And we have Cruz and Kittredge for the first time since the first one. And that's a great scene. It's a, it's, it's a ton of fun and stuff like that. Liam, can uh, I just interrupt you really quick? And I just want to point out that the best Metal Gear Solid adaptation is, was, and always will be Choi Hawk's double team with Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dennis Rodman. The second act of that is is the best Metal Gear Solid that we'll ever get. That's all I had to contribute to that. I mean, look, I, I Black Hat is is an interesting thing that that Brandon brought up, which is one of those movies I just didn't see because everyone said it was it was terrible uh, at the time. And so then when I watched it with like those expectations, I was like, oh, this is great. Uh, I had no problem with it, but I didn't think it was as confusing as this plot to be, to be honest with you, or, or as, as kind of, as nonsense as, as some of the stuff in Dead Reckoning is. It's just like the general concept of, I guess, in a Mission Impossible movie is that it feels like it should be a bad guy who wants to use AI to ruin the world rather than an AI who's using a bad guy to ruin the world. Well, let's let's do this uh, really quick because because I can tell you're rolling and I don't want to stop you. So uh, I think it's fair to say for people listening, Brandon liked the movie better than Liam. Uh, Liam, I still, like still want to say there's no bad Mission Impossible movies. And so I, I'm going to get there. I'm going to land the plane. We're there's talking about differences of degree, not of kind here. I, yes. I understand completely. But again, it's I a just, mission. Be, before, before we move on to that, I just want to say, Liam, I do agree with you really quickly. The, the more it sits with me, the more that opening submarine scene feels like, one, it goes on way too long. And two, you're just like, what is this like it that that is the moment when the photography when i saw it i saw it in dolby which is like supposedly like the best like image possible uh and i mean i don't know how true that is because i have an amc in pittsburgh so i'm sure it still looked like shit but um but, uh, but no but that opening scene is really jarring and it's it's pretty ugly like when that when, when you first settle into that you're like oh shit i was you're just like what wow this looks bad but but i will say I agree with you that that scene's sitting pretty poorly with me because the whole time every cold open starts and you're waiting for Ethan to show up and this one takes way too fucking long for Ethan to show up. I mean, that's just, what where yeah, you go yeah. back to Rogue Nation where it's just like he fucking runs up over the hill and it's like yeah. movie star, I'm about to jump onto a plane and then yeah. parachute. <laughs> well, Ooh, the, the setup, I mean, the setup too because they're like, you know, I think it's Luther that's, you know, he, he's talking to Benji and he's like, well, where's Ethan? And Benji goes, where do you think? And then, yeah, you see him run up the hill. And <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's, it's one of the most like badass introductions that, that you could possibly do. Um, and, and then again, with fallout, the opening, which is a very long opening, but the fuck we, we, we like, you know, geeked out about this last week, but someone else posted, this is really the best movie ever made. And they did the moment where the wall falls down and Wolf Blitzer crushes his line. Let's, I, I still want yeah. to, like, but that moment 
the writing, the execution, there's nothing in Dead Reckoning that hits that high to me. Uh, so th no. that's kind of what I'm weighing it against. But again, I will just say before we get into the spoiler, the last hour of the movie, you fucking get your money's worth. And it is like I, I didn't breathe for like 30 minutes at the end of it. So I still am, 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 am just saying I, I would say it's kind of like uh, I'm not a I'm not a big Dark Knight Rising or uh, or Rises or, or Spectre guy. And it's like both of those are really good, well-made blockbusters by great directors. But they're because of my expectations and they're a little lower on the list. That's all. I'm excited to hear Mike's uh, spoiler reason for not seeing this movie. I think I know what it is, but I'm excited. Yeah, everybody knows what it is, yeah. but I, I just still. So we will now go. People listening, if you haven't seen Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, go ahead and and skip forward uh, and come back when we talk about Kaufman. I would say we're probably going to spend about a half an hour talking about Mission Impossible. So uh, skip forward about 30 minutes. I'll try and put a time code up, but let's be honest, I'll probably forget. So anyway, uh, we are going into spoilers in three two one um all right so liam we'll kick it back over to you because you were you were rolling and i i sort of interrupted you a little bit but now you can talk freely about about everything okay so well first of all let me just hear what your spoiler reason for not watching it is because that that could get me back on track what do you think it is ilsa faust yep yeah so that that stuck in my craw as well as do you really think that that's going to stick, though? I don't give a shit. This is yeah. my point. This, so yeah. this was the argument that I was ha – <laughs> not an argument, but a discussion I was having with somebody because people keep saying it's not a cliffhanger ending, right? So there's only two ways this can go. Either Ilsa's not dead, in which case, by definition, this is a cliffhanger ending, and after Fast True. X, I'm fucking over cliffhanger endings – or Ilsa is dead, and one of the biggest franchises in the world just fridged my favorite character and one of the most stunning new stars to hit the scene in the last decade. And look, what I said is, I, I and I want to make it clear, I'm not not seeing this on some moral high ground, all right? I watch plenty of movies where women get fridged. Uh, but what I am saying is I am not going to see this one until part two comes out and I see how they stick the landing on this because they might stick the landing. Great. Maybe she does come back and it doesn't stick and we get a badass. She rips the face off and you know, all of that sort of stuff. And that's fine. And I'll be okay with that. But I see absolutely no reason to piss myself off now and wait a year and have to wait a year to see whether they stick or fuck up the landing. I can just wait a year to watch the movie and watch them both together. I, okay. I like your I like your distinction of how this does make it a cliffhanger because that kind of, it I, I can't really argue that because this this what I I've, I'm not even close to caught up on the fast movies but I do know that this newest one ends with like a like right in the middle of the movie basically and I felt like Spider Verse did the same thing and I I I'm a lot less into the new Spider Verse than a lot of people and I'm not I don't want to like I really like the movie so I don't want people to think that I don't but I think the ending is just like it ends right in the middle of the movie and you're just like, come on. But like, I was feeling like this one was like, Oh, this wraps up all these arcs and everything. And if they never made another mission impossible, that would be fine. But then now what you're, what you're saying, Mike kind of does stick with me. Cause I'm like, Oh yeah, I do want them to make another mission impossible because I, I want Ilsa back. And, well, and so it, it is, it is a cliffhanger. And so I do get that frustration. And, and here's the other thing I haven't, you know, again, this is just from reading the spoilers and the synopsis because I, I had to know if I was right. Cause I called that you Ilsa was did, dead. You did call it. And, and that that's part of the thing, Mike, is that I felt like if I hadn't rewatched the series and we hadn't been discussing it, 
And like even uh, some of the things on Twitter when you called it out and we're like, well, no, he's with his perfect match. He's with his soulmate now. He's with Elsa. I think all that stuff kind of contributed to me being deflated <laughs> by the movie yeah. because the end of Fallout does kind of hint that they're together now. Yeah. And it, it just completely walks that back right away. And, and and the thing is, is is what's so interesting, a couple things that are so interesting to me about this, and then I'll let you guys get it. Cause again, I haven't seen the movie. So I, I'm going to get, it, I'm going to get everything I have to say out now. And then I'll let you guys you know, duke it. it out. But um, for me, the thing is too, is based on what I've read, at least if Ilsa is in fact dead, it kind of looks like Ethan just sort of immediately goes. So if she's in fact dead, then, her death warranted a lot more time than it sounds like it gets in this movie, right? This yeah. should be, yes. this should be a real mournful period in this movie. Uh, you know, and this was my argument about character deaths in a script that I had from a year ago. You read that one. Yep. And I was telling him, you can't kill this character. And my reference was Top Gun. Like Top Gun becomes a sad music video for 20 minutes after yeah. these times. And it's exactly. appropriate. It's appropriate. You it's appropriate. I did, I did bump with that in this one a lot because I think the cut from her, her death, whether it's real or not, I mean, as far as we know it is and as far as we know Ethan thinks it is, the next cut is him just sitting in a boat going to the next mission and then we're off again and and or the next part of the mission it reminded me a lot of when um in endgame when they're just like hey black widow's dead and then they have this super like elaborate funeral for tony stark and you're like well wait a minute what about black widow you're like it is it is a frustrating moment in the movie in this movie because it is like it i don't know it part of what lessened my frustration with it is Haley Atwell is so fucking good in this movie that you're just like, but at the same time, I did read a really good piece the other day and I forget who wrote it. I want to say it was Roxana Haddadi or I, I think she wrote it or maybe she just shared it, but it was basically about how this movie, how frustrated they are that this movie basically takes a great brunette and replaces them with another one and doesn't really think twice about it. And, and that is frustrating because you're just like, well, wait a minute what does Haley Atwell do here? That's really any different other than just being a little more scared throughout the movie, but she is great in it. So she's it great, of, but yeah. I, th that contributed to my frustration. And and so Mike, I'll, I'll make you even more angry because the movie then, it, first of all, it has, like I said, it has that very weird, um, long, long intro. And then Ethan finally gets a mission and it's another one of those, like like I said, it's a self-contained story. They give all the exposition of what he's got to do. I just think in a normal mission movie, though, they would just say it's the key to a sub with a bunch of nukes. And they just say it up front because there's there's very little value to him not learning it's a sub until the very end of the movie. Um, and so I, I get there's a couple of reasons writing wise why they have that. It, it's a reason for him not to kill the bad guy at some point, but could have come up with something else. I don't know. I just I didn't think it was a good enough piece of information that the audience is told on minute one that he finds out at the, you know, the last minute of the movie. Um, but so anyway, then it, then it kind of cuts to the mummy and we're out in the desert with Cruz. It reminded me a lot of the mummy in some places of this movie, to be honest with you. And I mean, Cruz's mummy. Um, and you have this kind of cool scene, although I think, I think filmmakers, we need to like, just agree that like sandstorms aren't as cool as, as we think they are. I just, don't really like sandstorms all that much in movies. Like it doesn't really work great in a uh, ghost protocol. Like you just can't see anything. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't like them that much. Uh, that sandstorm I, takes kind of a trope I'm, I'm, I'm not into. 
Um, but anyway, it's a cool scene, but they kill they kill Elsa in that scene. And so they 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 basically show that she's dead, and you're like, what the fuck? And then, you know, I don't know, five, ten minutes later, they reveal, no, 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 she's not actually dead. And then, and then, you know, an hour later, they kill her for real. And you're like, why did you kill her in the opening scene and then kill her again? I don't know. It, it just became very frustrating uh, on handling that character. Um, they gave you some of the little moments that you're, like, kind of looking for with them when they finally reunite. And they're, like, you know, going through uh, the city together. And, and you can tell they have this this kind of warm relationship, but it's, it's not quite what I was hoping for. I I'm worried you're talking me out of liking this movie. Cause that was something in the moment that I, I was a little confused by, I said, this was less incomprehensible than black hat, but I might be, I might be wrong because when the reveal happens, when it's like revealed to Ethan, that what he's looking for is a sub. I remember in the theater, I was like, wait, I thought everyone knew that already. I was like, wait, I, it like it's like this big reveal, and I was like, wait a minute. I was like, didn't we all like? And then I realized, like, no, we know this, but he doesn't. And then even still, I'm like, oh, well, that's kind of like lame. Like, I don't know. It's just like this big moment. The music builds to it, and you're just like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, I guess so. But I even don't know. I, even the way he learns it, I'm like, wow. Ethan really had a lot of time to read the news for the past month when he's yeah. been running around and hanging off the side of uh, cliffs and everything. It's just like. He knows the name of a, a lost sub from like a you know a Reuters report from two months ago. Or <laughs> I I still really love this movie, but I think as we're talking about it, and even just this past day with me sitting with it, I do think Fallout is better. And just in terms of like a movie, I think I had more fun watching this because of the various parts. But okay, think... but I'm gonna push back on you. Maybe it's because it's the first Mission Impossible movie you've seen in a theater in 20 years. There's that, and it, I I hate to be so. Uh so lecherous but it also has like the hottest cast top to bottom which was a lot of fun to watch um, i think it's like it's the, the, it, there's two parts to that which is probably true um like you're probably right i i think it was like the thrill of seeing one of these on the big screen it just sucks that like the, the last two i've seen in the theaters are like the like by by default the two worst looking ones <laughs> and so like... well that was part of what we were saying last week of, about ghost protocol is that like at the time seeing it in imax we were like this is the best this fucking franchise has ever been you know you're just kind of like so blown away by the the ex exhibition of it and then when you go back and revisit you're like oh no 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 that, I do it, think it's this, good, but it's towards the bottom yeah i do think this is better than ghost protocol if only because i'd rather a movie build build up steam and end with a bang then where ghost protocol like you're like so exhilarated by the burj khalifa and then the you know the hotel meeting that follows and then by the end of the movie you're just kind of like well i that that never really hit the highs for me i i think people keep getting mad at me on twitter like not mad but you know just like are, are like feigning outrage at me having ghost protocol as my second to last and that doesn't mean i don't like it but i just i don't know it, that one really I, I don't mean to keep going back to. No, I think I think did, the three of us here. are actually in agreement on that one, and I think it's it's hard for me to to cape for it. Other than I do think the like the general pacing of it is better than Dead Reckoning because again we said like you're in a theater, everyone in the first minutes, and this one's Dead Reckoning is almost laugh free until we get to the Haley Atwell story with Benji yeah. and Luther and all those guys. So it, it does take a while to get to what 
we think of as the Mission Impossible sort of formula um, in in, in that uh, the the airport sequence. But it once she's in and you get into the groove with her, it, there's a lot of laughs to be had. There's a ton of fun stuff. I, and so again, I'm I'm not trying to say this is bad. Uh, I, I came out saying it was a three and a half star movie. I think I might be talking myself up to a four star, but I did come out kind of being like, I got no laughs up front. Then it's like an hour of this comedy caper stuff, which is fun. But like it was just it's just sort of the the the, the alchemy of. McHugh kind of like, like I've never bumped in the last two movies. I kind of just watch them. And it's like what you say about script watching, where I, I and when people criticize Rogue Nation or Fallout about stuff, I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm lost in the movie. I cannot, I like don't, I don't even have the objective ability to really criticize them because I am just like, it's moving the way that my dreams move. I'm not bumping on anything. And on this one, it's like, even cinematography wise bumping at places and the edit bumps a bunch for me too, where he's obviously doing it like to, to experiment, but where it'll be talking to like Luther and it's on him here. And then it's just going to cut mid sentence to a shot over here. And they're both mediums. And now he's switching the side of the, of the screen direction lens. And then all of a sudden it's cutting back to Cruz and he's on the same side, looking back at him and I don't think there's a real thematic reason why they should both be on the same side. So a uh, friend of the show, Pete Lee, who uh, <clears throat> people might know that name as the director. Uh, he used to work with Eric Jacobus. He directed uh, the Rope-A-Dope movies with Eric. Uh, he was not a fan of this movie. And and he pointed out that it really looked like a COVID movie because of the because of those weird cuts and, and those weird things that it looked like, you know, you could. For him, it was very obvious that they were filming it during COVID and they were filming it at the height of COVID. So they had these strict restrictions on how many people. So they had to do a lot of shots where people were not actually on set together and then and then cut it together in the edit. Maybe they, that's why I, Tom I, Cruise started screaming at people on set. He saw the dailies and was like, <laughs> what the fuck? Like, wear your, ma- <clears throat> wear your mask. Like, <laughs> what are we doing here? I'm I, I just... Uh, that's probably true, but I just think there's so much money involved that these guys are just going to shoot it till they do it right. And I just think it's McHugh just wanted to do it this way. It's a, it's again, that tip of the cap of the showmanship and that he's going to continue to experiment. And so I don't really put anything as like an accident on this guy, like, because, because of Cruz and him, they have so many resources. They shot it for three years if they didn't like the, anything, they're going to fix it. And I think they liked, they wanted to do it this way. And um, and even in those those edits, Mike, just so you know, like they have the right lines. So they're, because they, they're cutting back and forth to, from takes that are on the correct line of action. So he's deliberately doing these, uh, you know, breaks of the, of the axis on purpose. And I just think it's kind of like, maybe they're just a little bored of making Mission Impossible movies and they're trying to do different stuff and they're keeping it fresh. They're spicing it up in the bedroom, I guess. But it's just, it's interesting. If I can defend the 180 thing just really quick, and it's it's kind of a lame defense, but I do think it fits with the digital photography of it all, where I think they're trying to create this like really, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, disorienting experience with like, the, you never know where the entity is in the room and everything because it's the, it doesn't have like a physical form and everything. And I think just they're trying to put you in the heads of like being paranoid with these people. So I get what they were doing, but I will say 
I saw before I saw this movie, I saw someone on Twitter talking about like complaining about the 180 role is like really silly, blah, blah, blah. And I just I kind of agreed with them and, and I called it egghead shit because I was like, it's the first thing you learn in film school. And I feel like it's the one thing anyone ever remembers when they're complaining about a movie. So I was going into this just thinking like, oh, it's probably just like the film professors of film Twitter that are mad about this. But then when I saw it, I was like, oh, this is really jarring. It's like, I definitely see where people are coming from. Cause like, there are some, some it's, shot a, it's him shots. and Luther. It's him and Luther scene. That's like, yeah. it's, it's, it's supposed to kind of be an emotional moment. And you're just sitting there going like, was that the best edit? And I don't want yeah. to think about the fucking edit. I just no, want to be in the right. moment. You're right. Because I think the the scene where they're all at that party having like that standoff talking to each other, it does that there. And I think it works really well there because you're like, whose side it's is it on? But, but you're right. The, I did notice it in other scenes where that probably shouldn't have been happening because every Luther scene, he, Luther has a scene in these last few movies that makes me choke up. And this one did the same, but I was also sitting there like feeling a little weird during it. And I, I think that was why, because there you're just like, wait, what? what am i looking at who's looking yeah, at who? why are they both on the same side of the screen looking in the same direction <laughs> when they're both supposed to be talking to each other and i just think it's like that you know maybe like he said uh that it wasn't uh, McHugh said it wasn't a De Palma thing and um and it was just for the story is king and it was the emotion of the moment and so that's what i mean i i just think it's it's, it's exactly the movie he wanted to make i don't think i, I don't think i can put any um you know, limitations on those guys. Cause I feel like they're doing exactly what they want to do. And their references are older and more interesting than idiots like me uh, are understanding. So I'm not like, uh, Hey, you should do it the way I do it. I just, is again, it, and it is one of those ones where I'm like, I, I want to watch it again uh, with my wife. It's a little bit like I was saying with, with part two, like when I see other people loving it, I'm like angry that I don't love it the same amount because I'm like, wait, I'm the I'm the Tom Cruise guy. How come I don't love this as much? So that's why I also been biting my tongue on Twitter because I the POTUS I don't want to slander the POTUS of movies on his opening weekend. Like I want this movie to do well. Uh, you know, I want everybody to love it. I was just kind of like mad that I didn't love it as much. If if I could say a positive that is a spoiler, I think this has the best mask acting since three. There, uh, I, I've never, I, I've always liked Vanessa Kirby. I've never, she's never wowed me in anything. I've always thought like she's been been good in things, but she has a scene in this where I'm. You already know this if you've read the spoilers, Mike. Um, she's she's playing Haley Atwell, playing Vanessa Kirby, and they do a really cool thing with her eyes here, which I, I it was one thing I've never really thought about, but. I guess if you're wearing a mask, your eye color isn't going to change if you don't have time for to you know change the contacts and everything. So Vanessa Kirby has brown eyes in this scene, and it's funny that no one notices that. Um, but like, like her brother, like yeah, like, yeah. They're, they're, but they're, it's also you're not going to be like I'm assuming someone's face is different, but I guess you know. True, but also there there are little hints that like he is kind of like what like he's a little confused by by her when she comes out of the room and it's now Haley Atwell, but they never really like which I'm glad they don't like say your eyes are different, but like, yeah, no, they shouldn't. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, um, but she's tremendous in that scene. Like she's playing Haley Atwell in credit. It's like Philip Seymour Hoffman playing Tom Cruise levels of good. For but me. it's a long scene and you, you mentally do think it's Haley Atwell. Like it, yeah. it, it is very odd. It's like, a, it, it is like acting as a special effect. Her, again, her face her face changed to Haley Atwell at one point for me. It was like wild. I, like, I thought, you're right. I thought I was watching Haley Atwell. It was pretty crazy. 
So I want to start being more positive on the movie, saying that first, like the 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 scene where the AI is in the club, like there's great fucking cinematography there. There's great shots in the movie throughout, but literally the AI is in the club, and I was like, oh, so this is just fucking goofy. I was like, what the <laughs> fuck is it? And they're 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 zipping around everybody's face, and then I from that point until Ilsa dies. So Gabriel who is our new retcon bad guy, uh, a la uh, Reyes from Fast X, is is saying, you're going to make a decision tonight, Ethan. You know, either your new girl dies or your old girl dies. And then from that point on, I had no idea what was happening until they are fighting on the bridge with the katana. And, and so when Elsa's fighting on the bridge, I was like, really, what the fuck? I was so confused. But then at least when she starts fighting with the sword on a bridge, I was like, ah, okay, I like this. <laughs> I was like, maybe I'm trying too hard to fucking figure out what this movie is and I should just enjoy the, the hot woman fighting the dude with the katana on a bridge in Venice. Like maybe maybe I need to just let go a little bit. And so I did enjoy that part at least. Speaking of Gabriel, he- Can, can I just, I, I, I have to, I, this popped into my brain and I have to purge it. When Liam said the AI's in the club, I just got to say- you find AI in the club, pocket full of bard. Look, I got the chat GPT if you want me stealing jobs. I'm good now. It's purged from my brain, but that was going to keep me up all night if I oh. uh, if I didn't. Well, it literally like, does a 360 shot of him, and it's like the AI is in the club with him. And I'm like, <laughs> this is these are the smartest people on earth. But like this, I I I get this feeling they're just like 60 year old guys, like just don't like. It, it, there, there is a break from from what AI is and what they say it can do at the beginning. Like if it can if it can do what they say at the beginning, there's no movie. Like Ethan, they could stop <laughs> Ethan right away. There's nothing. There's so I don't know. There, all that stuff. I, I again, script watching. It's my bad. The movie. Then I, I said I want to try try to be more positive. After the Ilsa death, there is a great scene. It doesn't exactly just jump to the next thing. It does have a scene where they then kind of. Uh, in an emotional way, ask Haley Atwell like if she wants to be in the IMF. That's a fantastic and, scene. That I think that's her. And best it's a piece great cruise yeah. scene. And he's like, you know, from this point on, your life will always matter more than my own. And you're like, wow, okay, this this is great. And from that point on, when we get onto the Orient Express third act, it's it's a fucking fantastic time. It's 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 Mission Impossible at its best from that point on. The I I like the people are, think that the AI being the villain is like a letdown, but I'm kind of enjoying Tom Cruise's anxieties with being replaced. Like because in Maverick, there you know it's all about AI pilotless jet fighters and everything, and then this is like an extension of that. I I don't know if it fully works here. I do agree with you that it's very confusing about what the entity can and can't do. And like I'm not very smart about technology, so when they're talking about oh we can use this piece of technology because it's analog and I'm like well is it like I don't know like I, like it doesn't seem like it's analog but okay um I, I but I like all I I like the messiness of like I don't I'm never going to understand any of that stuff so I like just letting it wash over me and just being like oh I'm stupid but all of this is really fun <laughs> but um but I I do like how he seems so laser focused on like I'm not going to be replaced by a computer and he's like I don't know it feels very of of a piece with like this moment in time which which I guess could be seen as like a bad in some ways, but I've been really enjoying his like worry of being replaced. First, it was I'm not going to be replaced by the hot new leading man of the moment. 
whether it's like Jonathan Reese Myers or Jeremy Renner or Henry Cavill, and now it's like I'm not going to be replaced by a fucking computer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even even in Oblivion, that's kind of a that's kind of an undercurrent of that movie as well. You know, like it's definitely something you can tell he's wrestling with in in his projects. Yeah. And oh, you brought up Gabriel Liam. I I really loved S. A. Morales in this. I thought he was tremendous, and I love that he gets a little Shatner moment at the end of this. <laughs> I I was that when he screams Ethan. I just I was really hoping we got a second one, but that that was incredible. I wasn't expecting that at all. But, but yeah, he's he's great in this. He's I uh, he's he's got like the silver fox like eric bischoff look going on right now oh my god he does look like eric bischoff <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah he's he's really great in this hey i i partied with isa morales at area nightclub in uh i think 2007 he's a good dude oh, uh, nice. remember me but we we, you know, we 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 had some vodka shots good guy <laughs> wait we we have to talk about palm though like i think maybe the highlight of this movie she's she's unbelievable in this uh just uh, there uh if you do ever see it mike i think you'll really love there there's there's a rome chase sequence that reminded me a lot of a uh, six underground and um but that's because you didn't see fast x because that's another thing is that like they, they have been very similar <laughs> scenes like they're they're all they're very similar movies in ways that are just strange in 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 a lot of ways but again it's like yeah, I, I think it's more Fast X than, than Six Underground, personally. But See, now I'm going to have to get caught up on all the Fast movies, but you guys were so down on 9 and 10 that I don't know if I want to, if I have oh, any Oh, not, not you guys, uh, because don't forget, we've got like Grand High Fast X Defender there on this show. I'm the one that was down on him, so. Oh, okay. Again, expectations. It's a movie where the director got replaced like, a, you know, a week into filming. <laughs> So a, a, a three-star movie that I'm expecting to be awful, and I'm like, ah, oh, that was okay, <laughs> compared to, uh, you know, a four-star movie, I was expecting it to be a masterpiece. It's different experiences. I'd, this is one's clearly better, but I was not, I, I, I was going in hoping to be, this is my favorite movie of the year. That is actually 100%. I mean, that, that you know, that, that messes me up on movies all the time. Yeah. Um, it's impossible for it not to. I love people that like to act like they go into a movie as a complete blank slate, but I'm sorry, you're not going into Fast X or Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning without some preconceived conception. It messed me up with Spider-Verse. I was really excited for this new one. Like like everyone else, I loved the first one, and I thought this new Spider-Verse just was like hitting the same beats the first one did, and then it ends in the middle of the movie. And when I came home and saw that everyone was like, this is a masterpiece, I was like, what was it? Like, am I just, like, stupid? Like, I don't know. But so I totally That's get that. That's how I feel a little bit right now, because it's like all, all the people I trust really like this one. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you know, that, I'm going to give it another shot. But I, I when when you asked uh, before you went uh, what the better movie was of the year with uh, John Wick 4 or, or Dead Reckoning. I was like, I honestly enjoyed Extraction 2 in a theater better than Dead Reckoning. So I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't want to forget about that. I've, that's been going around film Twitter lately is people, which is stupid. They're two totally different movies. I don't know why. I, it's, I guess it's they're the two big action tentpoles that people are seeing on like every other action tentpole that came out this year. But um. I, I don't get the comparison at all. Like, but 
for John Wick four. Yeah. 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 John Wick four. I don't understand where that's even coming from, but then even after seeing them just as movies, it's insane that anyone's even comparing them. Like John Wick four is just so far ahead of this, just in every way. Like they're both similarly bloated, but you never feel it with John Wick four. And John Wick four, there's never a question of like the clarity of action or motivation. I think that's what that's what bothered me about this because there's never been an issue in the last two missions. But there's just moments of this where I'm like, what am I rooting for? What's what's supposed to be happening in that middle act? That's just it 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 far removes it. And I do think John Wick four, which you guys talk about theme, and I feel like Brandon's smarter about theme than me, which I like reading his writing because I'm always just like. The theme is the last thing I worry about. You know what I mean? Like if everything else is working, dig into the themes. But like I have to like everything else has to be kind of working well. But I do think John Wick 4 is like thematically like just a kind of like a final statement. You know, it's like a thesis it, on the character. It is. It's it's in and, and it this this I'm not gonna go into too much of a rant because I know we have a whole other movie to talk about, uh Mike and I. Um but it the, the whole I, there were a lot of like higher minds of film Twitter who I saw quote tweeting the tweet that I'm talking about where someone asked which is the better movie and a lot like I saw a few people saying like I saw someone say John Wick Four is the best Western action movie of like the last ten years which I think I agree with and then I saw other people say like saying come on now like like the higher minds of film Twitter saying like stop being dramatic that's ridiculous it's clearly Mission Impossible like this one's way better and it's like it it's hitting a point. The, the people saying that are hitting a similar point, a problem that I've been having lately, like the, that Rolling Stone list came out that everyone got mad about. And I'm seeing a lot of film writers who don't specialize in action when they say this is the best action movie of all time or this is the better action movie. I feel like they. I feel like there's there, there's a still still a sense, even in this day and age of action, being beneath certain people, unless it's striving for for something higher or unless it's like a classier movie. And I feel like for some people, Mission Impossible 7 is a classier movie than John Wick 4. So it's easier for them to say, no, this is the better movie. And it's like, but you're wrong. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm not, I know it's all objective and opinion-based, but like in this instance, I just think people are wrong. It's not the better movie on any level. And it's just, I don't know. I don't know if that rant made any kind of sense, but it's something I've been getting frustrated with a lot where like these major publications are hiring these people to write about action and they're just so... I, I just wish more people like us were given these outlets. And I think like, not to like pat myself on the back, but I'm, but I'm hoping that vulture thing is like opening that door just a tiny bit, because I don't think the respect is there yet the way it should be. And it's been really frustrating for me to see people just like that. You, I, I'm not going to dwell on this because Mike, you wanted to uh, gloss over all of the extraction to discourse that happened, but I do, it does frustrate me when I see these people who are getting paid better than, people that I not just me but people that I think deserve to be writing about action just you can read from the first few sentences that oh you went into this with like something in your mind where you were like I'm above this movie and it's like it's fucked up because it's like you shouldn't be writing about this then and it's like I don't know to say all of that is to say John Wick 4 is the better movie I don't care if it's more of a straight up action movie it's the better movie Well, sorry about that. I, no, I've been annoyed lately. <laughs> this will actually tie in when we transition to the next movies. This part of the other reason I didn't want to go see this this weekend is I just after seeing Dial of Destiny and some of the other stuff that I've gone to the theater to watch this year, I just I couldn't because 
what I like about John Wick 4 and what I like about Extraction and why I had to recenter myself this weekend in my movie watching habits and, and remind myself why I joined this show in the first place two years ago when we started doing it and the movies that I wanted to talk about on this show was because John Wick 4 and Extraction 2 have their roots in DTV. Right. These are these are 8711 movies. 8711 came up through DTV. I don't care how big of a budget John Wick 4 has and how glossy it is and all of that stuff. It's got fucking Marcos Roar and Scott Adkins kicking people in it. Right. And 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 that is a juice that I am I am never gonna get from a big budget Hollywood action movie. I love Tom Cruise. I fucking loved Maverick last year, right? Like I I I love Mission Impossible, but one of the things that has always sort of kept me from wholeheartedly loving Mission Impossible, the entire series except for two, uh, with with my whole body and my whole being, is it doesn't have that DTV edge, that 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 DTV DNA, that slimy, gritty, ugly roots of action that you fancy New York Times writers and variety writers look down on and wouldn't be caught dead watching, you know, it doesn't have that. But you get something like John Wick 4 or Extraction 2, and you can fill that all throughout its DNA. And uh, and and I just, I know this, I know I'm going to like this movie, especially if, like I said, when I watch it when part two comes out and they stick the landing, I'm going to like it, but I just couldn't do another big budget Hollywood action movie this weekend i just i i couldn't so yeah i i i don't care which movie is or isn't better i think they're fundamentally different but i do think for me i don't i don't need to see dead reckoning to know that john wick 4 is going to be my preferred movie of the two just simply because of the dna that is in john wick 4 i think that's a really good point and and yeah i i i had something to say and it completely left my head so yeah it's <laughs> i agree <laughs> yeah, no, I think these are great points, and and it kind of uh, I think informs all that different feelings that I had. So I hope I hope people taking away from this don't come out and be like, "Oh, Liam hated Dead Reckoning too." Like I said, I felt three and a half stars. I may be climbing it up towards four, and uh, the train sequence at the end is is a real all timer. Which again, in the moment, I'm like, they already ended a, a Mission Impossible on a train. Why are we doing a train again? And then at the end, I was like, oh, this is why they're doing it on a train. I was uh, like so laughing with so much glee when that scene just kept going and going and then it keeps going. And you're just like, is this ever going to end? But I also don't want it to because it, like when it got to like the fifth or sixth car falling off, you're just like, this is ridiculous, but I'm loving it. You know, that that's as a writer. Um, one of the things about these movies when you, you mainline them all is that like they, they just make it so hard on him. And like everything <laughs> continues to get worse and worse and it's so stressful. And I'm like, I never, I don't never do that as much because like it stresses me out even to think about it. And so it is a good lesson to be like continually torture your heroes like twice as long as you think you should. I mean, that is definitely a similarity between the two, right? Because Wick 4 does the exact same thing. You know, I've heard <laughs> the train compared to the stairs in its in its like ridiculousness Absolutely. in terms of how long it just keeps going on and yeah. on and on. Um, oh, be, I, I feel like we can't move on without talking about that stunt, though. That I mean, we, we all saw the trailer in like the special scene, like sequence and everything before like Avatar and everything. So we all know what the scene looks like. But when it does happen in the moment, it I, I don't know if it's like as... I still think this 
the as as much as I don't love the movie on the whole, I think Burj Khalifa might be the most impressive one. I'm not sure. The plane is pretty crazy too, but this one is like I will say my theater just like you could feel the silence just immediately hit everybody when he takes off and jumps off and does like the uh, base jump. It's it's like I, I just it's incredible I don't know how he's doing stuff like this and no it's... it's a good question like of the ones if you had to do one of them for like a hundred million dollars the plain one is the one I would do Me I would too. somewhat yeah. feel okay being strapped to a plane and holding on and taking off I don't know why the building one is the one I couldn't do I, I was I, crawling out of my skin watching that, even on my TV one. here. Yeah, yeah, like I just it's it's unnerving. And then the same thing with this base jump. It's like I, I can't I can't do stuff like that. We have a thing. We have a theme park here called Kennywood. And it's like there's a um, there's like a bungee jump thing, like right in the middle of the park where like it drops you and you fly over one of the big roller coasters and. And like, so sometimes when you're riding on the roller coaster, you'll just see these people above you just flying over. And I'm just always like, I don't know how people do that. That's the most terrifying thing I've ever seen in my life. And like, this is like that, but like a million times worse. It's like, it just, I want to like rip my skin off when I watch it. Cause I'm just like freaking out. I can tell you for me, it, even having not seen this one, it's going to be 100% the Burj Khalifa. I am so terrified of heights. I can't even get on a ladder most of the time. And yeah. I, I know that feeling because in Vegas, there's the casino, the stratosphere, it's now called the strat and they have a ride where they try and throw you off the side of the goddamn building. And I braved it and went on that ride and fucking have nightmares to this day about like <laughs> they really just tried to throw me off the side of this goddamn building and i mean in the in the stratosphere is not nearly as high as the Burj Khalifa but you're literally no. looking down at the strip people the size of ants Ugh. you're like you're like i'm i'm not even going there's not going to be if i fall if this thing falls there will not be a body i will have so much velocity i will obliterate upon hitting the concrete right and I think the the difference with the hanging off the plane or the jumping the motorcycle that makes them thrilling and exciting, but makes them maybe not so gut-wrenchingly terrifying is because I don't care who you are, unless you're completely not afraid of heights, we've all been somewhere where we've been afraid of falling. Most of us have never hung off the side of an airplane or jumped a motorcycle off a cliff. There's something unique about the Burj Khalifa sequence that that is an inherent human experience. It, it, you know, we've evolved to be afraid of falling. And so it really it, it, it hits us on a like a primal visceral level. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I had a this one. You're in the mountains and you're like, there's something about mountains that like equate to serenity yeah serenity so you're yeah. jumping out like if he dies there it's not so terrible but something about falling off of a huge building in, in abu dhabi is like ah if i can make a really silly comparison because the budgets couldn't even couldn't be any more different but the burj khalifa i had a similar experience watching gary daniels and rage climbing on the side of like the pm entertainment movie that was made for like 10 bucks like he's climbing on the side of a building like it's a very much smaller building and then hanging off of a helicopter i'm not even sure if the, all of that was gary daniels but whoever it was th there's a similarly impressive scene so i know probably all of your listeners have seen rage but if anyone hasn't there's like i, I it, you can't wrap your head around how he pulled that off and that also made me crawl out of my skin watching him dangle from this building but i do have a stupid question and then i, I like i don't want to hold us up anymore it, it, I, I did just main mainline all of them, so maybe I'm just like blurring things together. But what was the big death-defying stunt and fallout? Am I missing something? 
It's the, I mean, it's one, it's they're doing the, the, the jump that, that he jumps out of the plane was all done in camera. And then okay. two, he's literally piloting the fucking helicopter. Okay, that, I thought so. I and, thought that's what it and, was. It's, it's but insane. But the biggest stunt is when he falls down the rope of, I, I don't, I don't even know if that was him, but that, that stunt fucking blows me away. When that he was, okay, all, right. All the way yeah. at the top and then falls all the way down. I don't know if that was actually Cruz or not, but that stunt is the best stunt in the movie, I think. You you blew my mind last week, Liam, when you said jumping out of the plane was in camera. I didn't realize that. I knew the cloud, like, I, I think the clouds messed me up with, like, oh, that's all CG. But, like, that's crazy that that was in camera. That's like, wow. Okay. And, and the behind the scenes of them talking with, like, the helicopter pilots and Cruz, like, becoming a great helicopter pilot on Fallout is, like, you gotta be fucking shitting me like it's, it's crazy um that, and, and then he yeah. did it again and dead reckoning at the very end he he's the guy actually you know piloting this parachute off the train at the end and you're like hey. some of them you just don't even appreciate how insane it is yeah so he's taught himself how to do, not taught himself he's learned how to do all of these things that's that's crazy that was like, the best part of that behind the scenes when the, the stunt guys were like this dude's fucking insane <laughs> <laughs> this man's precision is unlike any other human being I've ever like i loved all that stuff i mean it makes a good case for scientology maybe i need to look into getting these satans removed i don't know <laughs> don't say the quiet part loud man <laughs> Well, <laughs> boys, do you have any final thoughts on Dead Reckoning? Uh, I would just say everyone should definitely see it. See it in the theater. I think um, a lot of a lot of friends, a lot of people like this a lot more than I do, and um, and so it might might have been my own expectations going in. But I mean, it, it's definitely going to be one of the best action movies of the year. It just happens to be in one of the best franchises. Um, so you know, it, but it's again the last hour is you are going to get your money's worth it's amazing stuff and it's uh it's cruise it's mccory it's a great cast um so yeah it's it's definitely a recommend go see it and uh, i'm going to see it again and we'll see if my my opinion uh rises because i think it will brandon final thoughts uh i'm i'm glad we had this conversation because i think it helps me see the movie a little clearer um I think where you were talked up to a four, I was talked down to maybe like a four and a half, like maybe four and a quarter. Um, I, I still feel like my love of it is pretty equal to Fallout in one. I think objectively one might be the second best just in the series, just as a movie. But I think those three are all kind of equal for me. Nothing's going to top Rogue Nation. I don't think that one is just like a masterpiece. But yeah, uh mainlining all these movies loved all of them and my only final thought with this movie is uh palm clementiev like just incredible just everyone should see it just for her she's doing doing a whole lot in this movie and it, it it rolls you know i do want to ask one thing before we move on what did you think of that fight scene in the tiny uh alleyway with palm like did that I, work for you it i liked it but i'm it's funny you say that because that was one of the things where whereas a lot of stuff bumped for me later that was one of the things in the moment where i was like i wish this was shot a little better this is like it was a little too close it was a little too unfocused on who you like but all of that it was a little arty and it was like that washed away though when she again lecherous i'm sorry but when she wraps her legs around tom cruise's neck and there's a close-up of his face but the close-up is like also of her abs in his face and i was just like man this would be a great way to die 
But but yeah, but that, that I think that fight scene's kind of terrible. Uh, it, it's it's great in, in terms of choreograph, but chore, choreography. But it's like I was really frustrated watching that in the moment because well, I, I, I and I think it's because like again the DTV roots of like raid two bathroom stall. Like okay, like right. sh- you're in this contained space, do something interesting with it. Show me how this influences the fight. But they're going from like these POVs. It just felt it felt a little bit of an arty way to do it rather than, uh, yeah. The, so sometimes that I think that's Mike's overall feeling. Like sometimes it's like eh, a little less art, a little more sweat. Especially yeah. when a lot of the hand to hand stuff in the series is really great and shot really well. Like I, there, it the bridge fight, really... the bridge fight is fantastic, and that yeah. two like non stunt people, those are two actor actors fighting each other, and I thought it was fantastic. In in one final thought, like that I have with my whole mainlining of the series is like the hand to hand really did jump out to me in a lot of these movies, and like it, one of them only lasts for like a minute and a half, I think. But Paula Patton and Leia Sedu is like a brutal, like burst of a hand to hand fight. It's it's really great, and I just was like that blew me away. And I I don't know, I loved all the hand to hand in in these yeah, movies that yeah, I wasn't and- prepared for. Ilsa, I don't remember the dude. Ilsa versus the henchman at the end of Rogue Nation. I just yeah. fucking love. I mean, that's just some top tier shit. Like, yeah. that's that's good stuff. So, um, all right. Well, like I said, I will we'll we'll resume this when Dead Reckoning Two comes out. We'll resume this conversation because I will. Oh, have... And we need to tell Vice uh, Kittredge innocent. Kittredge is great. Lay off of Kittredge, Vice. Uh, I I think he liked it around the same amount I did. But, uh, I, I don't it. remember who it was on Twitter though that that said to Vice, "Boy, it sure is a good thing everybody got after Vice for not remembering the Syndicate because they became a big important plot point in this movie." And I Can, just I giggled. I, <laughs> I, I just Brandon, have to say, I, yeah. I have to say, yeah, because I said this to Liam in DMs, all all love joking around, but uh, I love <laughs> Vice. Don't don't know what he's going through. Wish him the best and everything. One of my favorite people. Uh, made my trip to new, my first trip to new york one of the best trips of my life ran me around the city fed me and sold me with alcohol and, and then left me on a street corner um, one of the best people but i have to say it's very funny listening to him last week make fun of all the lore nerds for fucking mission impossible one of the biggest franchises on earth when a few weeks earlier he was going hard on the lore for beast wars like <laughs> come on man like like a little perspective not my maximals (laughs) but it's all love we all geek out over 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 shit so i i totally get it 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 is funny though uh, how how hard he goes after people for kittredge well but here's the thing in defense of vice and this is this is why he he's so good at what he does twitter is built to make people willfully misrepresent you right his entire point it was a positive no, he said, the "I movies. love these movies, but and I love was, these." Well, and, and he said, "It's a testament to the strength of the movies yeah. and the strength of Tom Cruise that, by and large, the villains in these movies are not that memorable." And and He's right, I mean, yeah. it, I'm sorry, that is kind of an objectively true statement. But He's of right. course, everybody just blew a gasket and got all up in him and and stuff like that. And it's like. Man, you can't even praise something without some asshole like jumping up in your mentions. Like, no, it's, 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 I, it's I, I had this tweet go off about uh, Wes Bentley being a normal wife guy in uh, Fallout, <laughs> and I specifically worded it in a way that was just like neutral because I knew if I said anything judgmental either way, and people still were like, 
well, that's because he is a normal wife guy in real life. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Look at that guy's eyes. That was like that was like my Dial of Destiny tweet where I literally <laughs> said the movie is fine. Like my entire thing was it's fine. It is neither the best or worst movie of all time. And I got it from both ends without lube on that fucking tweet. I got the Indiana Jones fans all up in me. I got the Indiana Jones haters all up in me. Like it was it was absolutely bananas. You, uh, you keep mentioning right? Dial of Destiny and I keep forgetting that movie exists. And yeah, it's the no, the, thing that's ever. the thing. That's my the thing point! Is, that was my I, exact point! <laughs> I can't imagine going that hard for that movie. I saw it and immediately forgot it. It's I, like, it, it's a nothing movie. It's a nothing movie it's competent like and, and people were like oh that's my favorite kind of movie competent i'm like well look i'm fucking sorry but you know i've seen a lot of movies that competency is not guaranteed so like yeah it kind of is a compliment that it's competent but it's not exactly you know i'm kind of damning it with faint praise here that like sure. your 300 your 300 million dollar movie you remembered to focus the fucking camera right like i'm not i'm not really like overselling the thing here my so. my friend a day after i saw that movie my friend dm'd me and was like how super how superfluous was antonio banderas in this movie how did he get third billing and then i like was like he was in that movie like i completely forgot he was in the movie <laughs> like it's just yeah but yeah, you can't. You, you, you're you're right, Liam. You have. To, we all just have to be neutral on Twitter from now on because I I. Well, but yeah. even when you're neutral, people still got mad at me that like, how dare I not know Wes Bentley? Besmirch the honor of Wes Bentley. Career. And I was just yeah. like, I think he's fantastic in Fallout. That's, it's just so funny because he's Ghost Riders West Bentley to you, Liam. That, I think you of him. It. I think of him as Ghost Riders West Bentley. Like that's kind of like I, I you know I haven't been keeping up with his television career, so I'm like. This guy's the psycho legion. You know what I mean? He, he's uh, on. But, he's on. Apparently, the biggest show that everyone watches, but Twitter, I guess. Uh, I, I, he. Or, I think it's Yellow. Is he? On yeah, Yellowstone? he's on Yellowstone. Yeah, I started so, it. I started yeah. the show. Uh, I got to tell you, the first image of the show, like the first like five minutes, were really good. I, I've only watched <laughs> like thirty minutes, but I was like, okay, I kind of get it. Like it starts. Seems like a show to put me to sleep in a very pleasant way. So maybe I'll I'm going to tell you. It starts with Kevin Costner's holding out a hand to a horse. He comes over, grabs the horse in his face, takes a gun out, and shoots the horse in the head. It's like, what the? This is pretty fucking cool. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm a Yellowstone guy. I got to watch it. I don't know why everybody decided. I mean, I understand the stuff, stuff has come out that he's a giant prick. But I don't know why everybody decided that Taylor Sheridan doesn't know how to make good shit, right? Yeah. Like, 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 when did we did, did we have a meeting and I missed it? Because I'm pretty sure Hell or High Water and Wind River still fucking. It, it's when it came out that he was a prick. You can't say this guy sucks without being like, well, I never liked his work anyway. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, so like I said, I had to recenter myself this weekend, and uh, and luckily. One of our our patron saints of the show, uh, William Kaufman, decided to bless us with not one but two movies. Uh, and so I, instead of going to see Mission Impossible, did a double feature of both new William Kaufman movies. I'm going to talk about one fairly quickly, and then Brandon and I will talk in more detail about the other one. The first one is Warhorse One. Uh, very much a passion project for frequent collaborator with Kaufman, Johnny Strong. Uh, Johnny was was pretty instrumental in all of this. He he co-wrote it. He produced it. 
he may have even done the music. I can't remember. He stars in it. He co-directed it with Kaufman. It's very much a Johnny Strong project. And that passion is on the screen. There's no question about that. The biggest problem, and I'm going to try and be very kind here because I love William Kaufman. Obviously, these are, I never take any joy in being negative about a DTV movie. It's no fun, unless it's directed by chaos. Um, and uh, and I, I wish there had been somebody with a little less passion on the movie because there's some choices and decisions that are made in the movie that really do need somebody to have said, uh, guys, this is a... 1.5 million dollar war movie like you cannot make this 125 minutes long uh you cannot you know kind of do it in a style of like a 1980s action movie in the year of our lord 2023 um you can't have a two-hander between johnny strong and a kid for 90 percent of the movie and expect your action fans to show even though i will say on the positives it's william kaufman action it's johnny strong doing it the action that's in this is magnificent it's beautiful but the problem is is at 125 minutes your your less successful uh parts of the movie uh ratio to the successful parts of the movie is way out of whack um if you're a big fan of johnny strong you know, I think you should still check it out because he's always watchable and he's always he's just so magnetic in everything he does. If you're a big fan of Kaufman, I think you still kind of owe it to yourself to watch it just because it's another William Kaufman movie and we don't get as many of those as we should. Uh, but I do have to say it was not my favorite uh, of the of the double. And uh, it had me a little bit trepidatious to move into the second one. Uh, but luckily, friend of the show, uh, Christian, genre film addict, uh, had already tweeted about it, and his effusive praise of it kind of made me okay, and I didn't make it five minutes into the channel before I was already fucking in love with it. Uh, so, Brandon, I know you watch the channel, so what are your initial thoughts? I, I said this on Twitter last night, that there's like just such a thrill of finding like a gem DTV movie. Uh, that you don't get anywhere else because it's just like it's stumbling over something that like you know not many people have have found yet and you're like you're, you feel like you're in on something and it if I feel like that's lessened a little bit over the years and maybe I just haven't been watching as many as I maybe should be but I do feel like there's been not a drop in quality but like just a little bit of like a it's been a slower time period in DTV it isn't the heyday that we there's had. It's I and I, I actually was on another podcast. Shout out to uh, our boy Larry Sternshine. I was on his real early podcast talking about the masterpiece that is Airborne, and I kind of I kind of talked about this. One, I think COVID has finally hit the DTV action because yeah. the production of DTV movies has just trickled. So you're not wrong because I still keep up with all this stuff, even if I don't necessarily watch them. And there just hasn't been, especially in 2023, there just hasn't been. You know, just last week, I was thinking, God, where is this year's black site? I wasn't even thinking about, like, where is this year's accident man, Hitman's holiday? I'm like, yeah. where is this year's black site? You know, where is where is that little gem that just blows me away? Um, so I, I was just like you. I was jonesing for some DTV action, man. I just there's something about it that fills my soul in a way that so few other movies ever do. I can't yeah. explain it to people, but it just 
I just people making a movie for two million dollars with the kind of efficiency and precision that the best ones do. It just it, it it's why I love movies. Um, and, and there's something about this one in particular that with everything that's going on with the strikes and everything and a lot of and, and you know, the story upon story come out of like like I just found out the other day that like Secret Invasion costs like 225 million or something crazy like that. And and then you watch a movie like this where you're like, I don't see any of that on screen. I'm sorry, what did you say? That there's no such thing as secret invasion. That doesn't exist. Well, that's why it's called secret invasion. <laughs> but uh it you, you watch a movie like this and it's like made for like nothing and it's just it's gorgeous. Like it just looks terrific. That's the first thing I noticed is like it shouldn't surprise me at this point. I mean, one of the co-hosts of this podcast regularly makes uh really great looking movies not to blow smoke up his ass for no money but uh so it shouldn't surprise me when i watch like not, a not regularly enough unfortunately <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it, it really shouldn't shock me when i sit down to watch one of these movies and i'm like holy shit this looks great but i mean it still does because like you're just like there, there are 300 million dollar movies that don't look as good as this does and i'm and i'm kind of getting like I don't want to compare everything to everything else, but it just like that was the first thing I noticed. And then you kind of you, you settle in when you watch a movie like this because you realize immediately you're like, oh, I'm in great hands. Like uh, you're just and, and from there, this this similarly to where I, like I, I was trying to think of a, a funny way to say like a pithy way to say this on Twitter and couldn't figure it out because like, I don't know, Liam, you and I talked about this a few weeks ago that we're always thinking of like our what tweet we want to put out next, which is kind of embarrassing. But like I couldn't really thread the needle. But like what I was getting closest to is where like Den of Thieves feels like the monster energy of heat. This feels like the bush light of Den of Thieves, but in like a great way, (laughs) like it's. It, but but it's it's almost I, I like that it was almost less about the shootout of the like they get the bank heist out of the way and this becomes just a really tense prolonged chase scene of a film where they're like they're, they're it, I love one crazy night movies and this is a great version of that like combining you know Den of Thieves with a one crazy night kind of movie is like a really great sell for me. Yeah, Christian actually, I thought nailed it when he said it's it, it starts as Den of Thieves and then it turns into a uh, low budget 21 bridges. And, yeah. uh, and you know, and that's I mean, when he said that, I'm like, OK, you had my curiosity. Now you have my attention, <laughs> um, you know, and. Uh, I guess I should say for those who don't know, so William Kaufman directed it, obviously wrote it as well with his his writing partner, um, not our boy Chad Law, his other writing partner, um, but uh Stars Clay Crawford and Max Martini as ex-Marines who uh, rob a bank. Uh, the bank heist goes to goes wrong uh, because the FBI is is right there waiting for them. I won't say any more details except that it basically is about Max Martini and Clay Crawford trying to get out of New Orleans with the money while these FBI agents are closing in on them. Um, and so it's this really tense and, and each side basically gets equal, equal, uh, you know, equal showtime. They're equally well-developed characters. The efficiency in which the characters are built in this is pretty impressive because like you said, Brandon, and I'll try and stay as spoiler free as possible. Like you said, they get the bank robbery out of the way in like five minutes, like not even ambulance gets to the bank robbery as fast as this one does. And, uh, and then we fill in the characters sort of as the, but we don't fill it in with like a bunch of flashbacks and stuff. It's just filled in with dialogue and looks and, and, and 
acting and physical performances. And it tells you everything you need to know about these characters. And that's something that Kaufman has always done so well. Um, the other thing that he does well is the tactical shit and the tactical shit. He just went the fuck off in this. First of all, the dialogue, all the, the tactical dialogue. I was like, like, I don't want to sound gross, but like, I was almost like aroused by like, by like all of the way everybody talks in this movie. It is that it's that Michael Mann level precision of, of tactical dialogue, especially like when we go to the FBI agents and they're, you know, they're breaking down how these guys did the robbery and stuff. And it's just, it's just boom, 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 boom. Oh, I know they're like, it's not a spoiler to say they're military. You know, I know they're military because they, you know, when we started shooting, they, they jumped into this formation and started doing all this stuff. And I'm just like, Oh, Oh my God, this is, this is what DTV <laughs> does for me. Um, but yeah, back to you, Brandon. Uh, one, one thing I really loved about this and it's something I don't love in it. It, it goes to it. It, goes into that whole budget talk is like if a bigger movie's doing something like this it kind of bums me out because they have the budget to pull this off but this i liked this has really brutal deaths like really brutal deaths and they cut away in a lot of them but it's in a way that like it you still it's like half a second long enough to where you get the effect of like wow this guy just suffered one of the worst deaths i can imagine and there are and I, there are again not spoiling specifically anything but let's just say acid plays a much bigger yeah. role in this movie than i was expecting it to uh because i don't necessarily expect acid to play big roles in movies <laughs> yeah and and there's a few moments in that scene in particular where you're like if a like i said if a bigger movie was playing with this and would cut away you'd be like oh well that sucks they're aiming for a pg-13 you could have pulled this off but with this you get to see just enough of it to where you're like you squirm but but not enough to where you're like where it feels grotesque and it's like it really sits with you like there it, this was a pretty upsetting movie for me in a way that I wasn't expecting because like you you do kind of feel for all these characters and and when when things are happening to them or to even other people that you don't necessarily feel for there's just a lived-in quality to them where you're just like you're really upset at like the violence that's happening and I I don't know I think he plays really well with a shootout in a populated area later on in the movie that feels I, I don't know how intentional this was or anything but it does feel like there, there's a scene not to get spoilerly spoilery where people are like at a cafe eating and like all of a sudden guns start popping off and they all start running away and it felt very of this moment where you know that's happening pretty much every day and and I think that the atmosphere of that it, it didn't feel it, it didn't feel exploitative. It felt like very honest. And and I think that's what he's really great at doing with these movies is there's like an honesty to his action and violence that you don't get in a lot of places. Yeah. The word I always like to use with him is authenticity. It might not necessarily be realistic, but it feels authentic. It feels lived in everything about these characters. Everything about this movie feels lived in. They feel like real people and the way he shoots new Orleans feels authentic and lived in you know this is this isn't the french quarter that we're hanging out in in this movie you know this is this is not those parts of new orleans and uh and yet he, he it still looks like a beautiful city in it you know he still makes it look beautiful but it just feels there's so much i hate the phrase the city becomes a character itself that's such a tacky cliched quote horror thing to say but like it really kind of does in this movie. Like it really would not have the vibe it has if they shot it anywhere else but New Orleans. 
And and Clayne Crawford is terrific in this movie. And I hadn't seen him in a while until a year or two ago. There's a really good like indie not 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 really action. It's more of a drama. It's called The Killing of Two Lovers. That and it's like this really incredible movie. It's like really well shot. It's really well acted. And he's excellent in it. And I hadn't seen him in so long until that movie. So I've kind of been back on like the, you know, where's he been kind of train. He's great. Oh. And then well, unfortunately, I can tell you where he's been. He has been blacklisted because he's a giant asshole. He oh, got, I did not he got know fired. He was he played Riggs in the oh. Weapon series and got fired for you know being a douchebag to PAs. As far as I can tell, there was no. It's not like a sexual harassment kind of thing. It's more Just like an a asshole. violent yeah. temper asshole kind of thing. But yeah, I so did know that. Yeah. I I totally memory hold that he was the original Riggs in that show. It, it's so funny too that. Uh, if I'm remembering the behind the scenes of that, right? Like, I think, like, what wasn't da- Damon Wayans, um, Murtaugh in that? Yeah. If I'm remembering the behind the scenes right to that, it's like he didn't even want the show to keep going. And he was like kind of hoping that it would end. And then they brought in Sean William Scott and he's like, fuck, now I got to do another season. Yeah. It was like, like, <laughs> Wayans was like kind of, uh, it sounded like he was trying to, uh, you know, get out of stuff. But Crawford was like, you're, you're a real bitch. Like, <laughs> they like <laughs> something where he just straight up called him a bitch. And uh, Wayans was like, we'll see who's the bitch. And he got him fired. Was, was, was it Sean sounded William like Scott? a bad mix. Was Sean William Scott brought on to play Riggs? Was he was he like a replacement? No, he, Riggs he was or? a new he was a new character. They brought oh, in a okay. new character. Um, okay. And and I didn't watch a ton of it, but as I always say, it, it does show Sean William Scott's a better actor than people give him credit for. But you can tell that Wayans in that third season is just checked the fuck out. And in fact, <laughs> there there were things that came out after they canceled it. You know, the part of the reason they canceled it was because Wayans started doing the Clayne Crawford thing. It was just an asshole to everybody on the set and, and stuff like that. So he sounds like, like a- you know, he sounded like he was George in that episode of Seinfeld where he keeps trying to get fired and they just keep shifting him down lower and lower until he's in the basement. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, but I do. So that being said, disclaimer, cause we always give those disclaimers, Clayne Crawford in real life, apparently an asshole go into, go into this movie, knowing that. Um, however, agree with you pretty fucking terrific in this movie yeah in in max martini i i don't can't remember the last thing i've seen him in but that's the one thing about kaufman's movies that i like is more so than most etv his movies are filled with actors i've never seen before other than crawford and martini and even then these guys aren't even like there's like an a-list of dtv and these guys aren't even in that level so it's pretty cool that he gets like these faces I've never really seen before and they're all great. Like you're always like, where did these people come from? Where are all these actors? And and you wonder like how much of that is on him getting good performances out of like these, like, you know, not to be rude, but like nobody's like they, they like I was looking at filmographies of some of these guys and they're people that uh, I've never seen before in anything. <laughs> yeah, no. And a special shout out to, uh, I hope I pronounce his first name, right? Nikoye Banks. He's the, uh, he plays the main FBI agent. He's so he's kind of essentially the third lead. Uh, and I, I've seen movies that he's been in, but certainly not in any way that has like stood out or made him memorable. And dude, I could not take my eyes off him in this movie. I thought he just dominated every scene that he was in. I, I, I thought he was just absolutely terrific. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know that we need to spend much more time on it other than just it's William Kaufman. It's William Kaufman doing what William Kaufman does. I think I would probably still gravitate towards sinners and saints 
but I think this is right up there with daylight's end. I mean, this is, this is right up there with what he does. And honestly, given what I've seen from DTV in the last three or four years, this is probably in the top five best DTV action movies I've seen in that time. I mean, obviously y'all know that I, I, I worship at the altar of Hitman's holiday. I don't know that any DTV movie is going to, going to reach those heights for me. And certainly going back a decade to day of reckoning and stuff like that. But if you like heat and you like, especially if you like Den of Thieves and if you like William Kaufman, you like Sinners and Saints, like you are really missing out if you haven't gotten this in your eyeballs already. It's available for rent and purchase on every major streaming service. Um, I bought it. I actually bought both because I got to support our boys. I didn't even rent them. I just bought both of them. I will be watching the channel again many times. I will glance at Warhorse one as I scroll through my digital movies, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, the channel is, it's a strong, a furry recommendation. All right, Liam, any, any last thoughts, anything you want to do before we wrap up and get out of here? No, no, I, I, uh, I think, I think that was, uh, you know, like I said, I was biting my tongue. I had so many, uh, dead reckoning things. I, I hope, I hope it, I, do you I, do you, do you feel cleansed? Do you feel your soul feel cleansed. cleansed? Yeah. And I still feel like, um, you know, what, what's been great about this series and, and what's great about the podcast and, and Twitter to some extent is that I I'm way less like attached to my own opinions. And I feel like, um, you know, by getting older and going back and revisiting these things as new chapters come and your, your, your opinions evolving, as you go, it's less of like, I'm just, I'm just basically, uh, you know, communicating my reaction at the time of the, the year in our Lord 2023. And it doesn't mean that that's going to be the way it is. You know, like you said, after you watch Dead Reckoning Part 2, and it all kind of feels like more of a piece. So, um, and I think that's just the healthy way to be about kind of everything, because it, it is, it is an evolving uh, relationship. It's an evolving relationship with you and the stories and where you are and what your brain is, is trying to make of things at certain times. So that's a long way of saying, I, I, I was a little disappointed with a really good movie. <laughs> and again, nothing wrong with that, you know? Um, yeah. So it is what it is. Brandon, any final thoughts on anything before we get out of here? Not really. No, I, I just really, if, if anyone listening hasn't, and I feel like I'm the last person on earth to to be this way so so i'm sure nobody listening hasn't already but if you haven't seen any of these movies i really do recommend mainlining them the way i did because it was one of the better experiences i've had lately just going one to the next so yeah that was it was a lot of fun to do that this last week and finally catch up on a major blind spot for me so now all the after after the, the last three months of uh john wick transformers and uh Mission Impossible. All that's left for me is Fast and the Furious to get caught up on, and then I'll I, I won't be a poser anymore. <laughs> I forgot about the Transformers thing. I remember that, but uh, just give 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 everyone your quick thing when, when you saw Dark of the Moon, because that's another one that I I don't know how you missed it in the theater, but it was so fun watching you watch that and being like, I'm levitating. What is it's, going on? It's so embarrassing to say this because it sounds so dramatic, but my jaw was open during that last hour. Like I was just, I couldn't believe what I was seeing and it's relentless. And you're just like, you watch that and you're just like, okay, I get, I, I'm one of those, like you guys know, like, you know, we're all Bay super fans here, but I get people in my mentions all the time because I cross over too much with 
the higher minds of film Twitter. And it, I, I, it, it's funny how like though there, there were people on that side of film Twitter, like people that I respect a lot who were subtweeting me during my watch through, like very clearly. And it was a little annoying. Cause I'm just like, guys, fuck you. But like, um, I, I, I do get all the criticisms of Bay. I, I'm not blind to it. I get why he would be unappealing to people, but I don't know how you can watch dark of the moon specifically and watch that last hour and not think like, He's maybe our greatest blockbuster director right now. I mean, I know Spielberg and Cameron are lit are also, but but they're they're also it, it, Cameron's our greatest living blockbuster filmmaker. Spielberg's doing other stuff right now. But Bay is like, you're right, Liam, when you said like, I don't understand how that movie is made, and then the next ten years of Marvel were considered the better movies because that it's it's just shameful how much better that is than anything else. It's just like. I don't know. That's like top. I think that's top three Bay for me. That movie. It's I, I loved all the other ones. Like I, I really liked Age of Extinction. Um, I, I can't get get to Vice level and and uh, defend the Romeo and Juliet law. Like I, I know he's not really defending it either. I know he he has his whole bit about that. But but I feel like there, all you had to do in that script was say she was eighteen and it would have been fine. But um, but uh, but yeah, I love Age of Extinction. Really loved Last Night. But uh, Dark of the Moon is just like wow. I totally blown away by that. You know, someone was in my mentions about last week's episode and he, he was saying how uh, MI3 was JJ trying to do a Bay film. And I just was thinking back to last week about Armageddon. I was like, what if JJ wrote the scripts and Bay directed it? <laughs> Those are just great movies. Like if, if Bay directs MI3, we're all just like, oh my God, that's the best Mission Impossible movie. And I didn't feel that until the bridge scene the bridge scene in mi3 is a bay set piece and it would have been so much it's a great scene as it is i think it's the best part of the movie but it, it you, they're right like he's going for a tony scott aesthetic with like a bay like level of like uh i don't know what i'm looking for excessiveness that's not the right word but um but yeah, I you're right. It, but I mean, it, it would have been at the time if he's doing this in 2005. Like Bad Boys is is uh, is two was the summer before, two summers before. So like, yeah. Yeah, of course, of course, you're going to be having a conversation with the the latest movie that was like someone. Someone asked me, and this will be my final point on Mission Impossible. Someone asked me, "How do you love Bay and Tony Scott so much, but hate the aesthetic of this movie?" And it's like, I don't hate the aesthetic. I don't think J.J. Abrams has the juice to direct like those two. He's attempting their aesthetic, and it's coming to nothing. And that, like, in and, and that's that movie's a perfect example of when people complain about the look of the two thousands. It's like when someone's really good at directing, that look it works great. Domino is a great movie for that reason, in my opinion. But like when someone has no juice, I'm sorry, Abrams, Abrams is good at mimicking people. He's a good mimic. I, I don't know what his style is. And that movie is a perfect example of that. I mean, no one has those guys juice first of all, but like there True. is something like <laughs> we're talking about the 180 line, just to go back. For, for the nerds and the egghead thing. <laughs> Scott and Bay cross the 180 all the time, but they kind of do it when the camera's like moving and, yeah. and, and, they, and they both have a poetry to the way they do it. And I didn't feel a lot of the poetry of, of the breakage in Dead Reckoning that like when sometimes with Bay, I'll be like, whoa, what the hell was that? But it, it I, obviously <laughs> it's a little bit more of a playful relationship. But Tony Scott's a great example of this of breaking all the rules all the time but there's this 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 light deft touch on it that 
feels poetic. It doesn't even have to be thematic, uh, like a, th- a thematic cut or an intentional, but it's like, I don't know. It never bumps. It's always smooth. It's always gorgeous. Here's the other thing yeah. with somebody like Tony Scott. Tony Scott directed Crimson Tide, maybe one of the most magnificently directed straight blockbusters of all time. Yeah. So he he can be crazy in Man on Fire and Domino and, and some of those because he's already established he is a master of the, the all those rules that don't break the 180, all those things that you learn in film school and stuff. Crimson Tide is literally Tony Scott going, great, here's how I do them all. Now, let me get fucking weird, right? You know, and, and, and that's kind of the same with Bay to a certain extent. You know, Bay established, yes, he still has his style, but I think in Bad Boys on the Rock, he established he understands these rules. He understands how to make a fairly straightforward blockbuster that follows the the rules and therefore can break them. J.J. Abrams has never done anything. This is what I always argue when when people are like, oh, filmmaking, it's all subjective and stuff. I'm like, no, there's rules. There are actual rules to the way movies should be made. There are things that over thousands of years have been developed by humankind to determine how narratives work effectively. You have to know the rules to break them. You can't just come out and break all the fucking rules because you think you're some indie kid who can do it. You have to have a handle on the craft. You know, it's it's a cliche joke, but it is always that thing. Look at Picasso's original paintings. They're like masterful still lifes and portraits. You got to prove you know how to do the craft. Then get fucking weird with it, you know? <laughs> Which and- I think that could be a, 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 what you're saying. Is, is a good defense for Dead Reckoning because obviously McQuarrie knows the craft and he kind of proved it was perfect in, in the last two and in this one. It is that sort of like, I, I I want to keep pushing it. I want to keep experimenting. Otherwise, I'm just repeating myself, which is, again, why even when I would have those complaints, I would still be like, tip of the cap. The guy, he, he it's all on purpose. I don't think it's it's on by accident. Yeah. It's the same argument I was kind of having with both Mission Impossible 2 and mistakenly mentioning kingdom of the crystal skull you know it sounds like dead reckoning falls into this you have to understand the difference between a master making stylistic choices that you don't like or you don't even have to think are are good choices they could be completely misguided but you have to make a distinction between that and incompetence and 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 being bad right? Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is misguided on so many levels. I will not now, nor will I ever admit a fucking Steven Spielberg movie is bad. I'm sorry. That's just not the way somebody like Spielberg works. It can be a misfire. It can be misguided. It cannot work. It can, it can do a whole bunch of things. But the idea that somebody like Steven Spielberg was just like, yeah, fuck it. Throw some CGI monkeys in there without like meticulously planning that. And that being exactly what he wanted at that time in that movie is bananas to me. No. Yeah. And I don't McCoy's know. the same um, way. I'm Crystal Skull again, but yes, <laughs> I will. I will. I just to wrap up the MI3 thing that yes, it is like, uh, I know Rob Hunter, friend of the show, former guest, that's his favorite mission impossible movie, which is insane. But I will give you, I do think it's one of the better scripts. Like I sent uh, Brandon uh, my breakdown of all of the different departments. And so like I, it, it ranks lowest, lowest to low on the editing and the direction, 
just because of what it's compared to, which are much, you know, better, better edited and directed movies. But I do think the script for three is a is a is a real yarn. It is a real page turner in a way that some of the other ones aren't. So that's if you really like three, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to say you're absolutely insane, but am I above Rogue Nation? Come on. Rob Hunter had a had a great dig at me when I tweeted my initial reaction to Dead Reckoning and called it MI Black Hat. He was like he's like, "Oh, he was like MI Black Hat is the first negative review I've seen of this movie." And I was like <laughs> just I couldn't it was a really good dig. Rob is literally the only person that I will just happily let him talk shit on me on yeah. Twitter because he's so goddamn good at it that I'm just like I got nothing, man. I got no, co- you, you just smoked my ass. I got no comeback on that. Like, yeah, yeah, no. Love you, Rob. Hope you're listening. Um, All right. Brandon, where can people find you online? Uh, On Twitter under my name, uh, doing stuff over at Secret Handshake. Been a little quieter over there. Um, I, I don't know if Jacob ever listens, but uh, if he is listening, please release the two interviews I, I did a couple months ago because I'm really proud of them. But uh, but no, but uh, he's very busy doing a whole lot of cool. He's doing a lot of cool stuff uh, in his day to day life. But um, yeah, doing their Twitter and stuff over there, trying to be more active with that. But otherwise, nothing. Oh, I, I do have something to promote. Don't know when it's coming out. Very, very, very quickly going to try to do this whole little caveat and then promote it. I was asked to write for GQ UK a couple months ago, did something for them. And then all the shit happened to Jason Bailey when they pulled his article. So I immediately reached out to him and was like, Hey, I think I have an article coming out soon by them. Just want to let you know I'm on your side. He was totally cool with it, but I I have to say fucked up what they did to him. Like awful. I I think that's ridiculous. Um, Don't support that at all. But the article I have coming out is, um, I never liked this distinction, but it was fun to write about. It was it's a list list with a I did a collaboration with another one of their writers slash editors, Jack King. It's like dumb fun movies. Um, I, I got to write about Showdown in Little Tokyo, uh, Volcano, just like little blurbs, hundred words on each one. And uh, that I don't know when that's coming out. It should be within the next week or so. And the only thing I want to say to anyone who's listening is it wasn't my choice to write about RoboCop in in this piece. I don't consider that a dumb movie whatsoever. I, I, my initial pass was saying, Hey, this movie isn't dumb at all, but here's why maybe people think it is. And I was told by Jack to try to try to make this a little more fun sounding. So I did, but I just want everyone to not yell at me when that article comes out and, and say Robocop isn't dumb because I don't think so either, but I was, that was one of the movies that was assigned and yeah. Rip rip your mentions. Oh boy. Oh boy. The the flames are coming for you on that one, man. The flames are coming. Did did my absolute best to try to really drive home the point that this movie is not dumb. I think it came through, but we'll see. Uh, You might have to put that in your bio. Robocop is not dumb. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It just, it was very funny. Like I sent a list of movies I wanted to do and largely got to, Stone Cold was at the top of that list. And I, I said very specifically, I was like, this is the one I want to write about. And when I got the list back that wasn't on there but robocop was and i was like fuck <laughs> but, uh, and like, but uh I, i'm proud of the article though uh all things considered so whenever that comes out i'll share it but that that ties into action and everything so yeah long yeah. way of saying i'm on twitter <laughs> yeah make sure make sure i mean i'll probably see it but in case i don't make sure to dm it to me and, and i'll boost yeah. it from the a40 accounts so that not that you need boosting from us mr i have fucking ten thousand followers or however many now uh, it's um, actually 11.5 almost but, uh, <laughs> i don't know how that happened it's, it's you know weird. honestly i don't know why i care that that sounds like a goddamn nightmare to me i can't even handle the followers that i have like it's 
It's terrible. I only just made the decision six months ago uh, after Scott Wampler repeated me yelling at me to do it to uh, close my DMs to only people I follow. I, I don't know what I why I had those open for so long, but uh, yeah, I've been closing my replies to only people I follow because I just want less. Of it's the, smart. Phil no, Phil Nobile from Fangoria has a locked account and on, limited replies only because he's just like, I'm only going to tweet my thoughts and you just have to deal with it. And it's a smart way to go about it because people are fucking annoying. <laughs> That's why I like Blue Sky because, you know, at least there I don't have very many followers and I can actually have conversations with people. Yeah, I get 10 likes there, there and I'm like, oh, this is bliss. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Anyway, Liam, where can people find you? Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Liam Odin. And uh, I get not that we're the entertainment journalist uh, uh, podcast, but did want to do the the shout out to uh, SAG AFTRA and the strike and in in particularly Ron Perlman threatening to burn down the anonymous <laughs> executive's house. It's just been replaying in my head. You know, there's a lot of ways you could lose a house. I mean, whew, flames, flames. Uh, so thank you, Ron. Really can't wait for a rap rapper to sample that at the beginning of a, uh, a song in the next year. That needs to happen. Hard as fuck. You yeah. should you should you should just make sure to listen to the uh, what I do for the opening in this song. I, I'm not going to pat myself on the back. I don't think it's get that brilliant or anything, but I, I'm going to be pretty proud. Is of this it. you announcing your rap career? Because no, exciting. it's not going to it's not going to be a rap song. But <laughs> it'll be it's a producer. Be, He's like yeah. the new Timbaland. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. You can find Vice Victus on uh, Letterbox being smart, Instagram looking hot, and as always, until it burns down on Twitter talking shit. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter. Uh, and Letterboxd at Hibachi Justice. You can find the show basically everywhere. Uh, Twitter, A4E Podcast, Blue Sky, A4E Podcast, Linktree slash A4E Podcast. You're listening to us, so you know you can find us anywhere podcasts can be found. Uh, we will do this again next week. Brandon, thank you as always for joining us. Liam, love you, brother. See you next week. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks for Cheers. having me.